Good morning, everyone. We're going to show you just a really short video here, I think, to begin with. this video is of a Christian leader that I had the privilege to be with earlier this year, along with ever 11 other men. And uh, I spent some time with them, and we were training them how to lead discussion groups and tell stories. Um, here, this man is uh, hes in the Middle East, and he's telling the story of Cain and Abel to a group of uh, people that are oral learners. We're going to step into that world, his world, this morning, and we're going to do things a little bit differently. Um, Oral learners are those that cannot read or prefer not to read. It doesn't mean that they're illiterate, and that's a whole subject for another time when we're together. But it just means that they prefer not to read or cannot read. Um, more than two-thirds of the world's population are oral learners. And of the 17,000 people groups in the world, 7,000 People groups are unreached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That represents almost half of the world's population. And most of those people are in the remotest parts of the earth. And they do not prefer to read or write. They have little to no access to the message of the Bible. My name's Tom Stout. I was commissioned by Rosedale Bible Church in 1990 to be their missionary. I have uh, faithfully served the Lord uh, since then, and all of you have been a part of supporting me in prayer and financially, and for that I'm gratefully grateful. Um, I promise that in a minute we're going to look at God's Word, but I wanted to talk a little bit more about what we're going to do today. Today I'm going to tell a story, and we're going to talk about it. Telling a story and talking about it is really important for oral learners because it helps them understand and it helps them remember the important stories of their lives. And then those stories, they become like good friends that they walk along with through life. And at any time, they can turn to that friend, they can remember that story, and God can bless them from his word. If you looked at that picture or watched that video, you would notice <clears throat> that there was nothing, uh, no Bibles there, uh, there was nothing written down there, and uh, so the way they learn is by listening. So I'm going to tell the story two times. And then we are going to tell it together. I'm going to help you. I'll leave out some places, and you're going to fill that in. You're going to shout back at me those things. And then we're going to talk about the story. And we're actually going to have people with microphones that will walk up and down the aisle. I'm going to ask some questions, and as the Lord leads you, you can raise your hand, and you can share with us um, what uh, God's laid on your heart or what you're seeing in the story. <clears throat> Let me pray before I begin. Father God, uh, we just all humbly come before you and we come before your word and we ask that you would change us. We ask that you would change the way we believe and think about you. If there's anything that needs correction. We ask that you would change us in the way we do things. If there's anything that you want us to change. Father, speak to us uh, through your word today. We pray these things in Christ's name. 
So I'm going to give you a little bit of information <clears throat> about this story before I begin. Now, this story is about the prophet Elijah. And uh, in the story, right before this story, Elijah has experienced an incredible outpouring of God's power. He was able to see God do amazing things, both miraculous and empowering him to do some incredible things. And right after that experience, we enter into 1 Kings chapter 19. And that's where the story comes from today. You're also going to hear about Ahab and Jezebel. Uh, this is the king of Israel and his wife. Uh, there is a lot to be discovered about that couple. And I would encourage you to read parts of 1 Kings before and after chapter 19 and really discover what were the precursors that led to this story and what did God do after this story. When we talk with oral learners, <clears throat> they don't have a Bible context to, to draw from. They don't have a history of Bible knowledge to draw from. All they do, all they can do is hear a new story and think about how it links to another story. So we're not going to step out of this story in 1 Kings chapter 19 uh, much. We're going to stay pretty much within that chapter. The story goes like this. Now when Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets of Baal, Jezebel sent a message to Elijah and it was, may God deal severely with me if by this time tomorrow you're not just like those prophets of Baal. And Elijah was fearful and he fled for his life. And he went to a town and there he left his servant and he went a day's journey further into the wilderness. And he came to a broom bush and he sat down and he prayed that he would die. He said, Lord, I have had enough. Take my life away from me. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he laid down and he went to sleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And when Elijah got up, he looked around and he saw that there were loaves that had been baked over hot coals and there was a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and then he laid down again and went to sleep. The angel came a second time and said, get up and eat because the journey ahead of you is too much for you. And so he did. He got up and he ate. And then strengthened by the food that he had eaten, he journeyed on for 40 days and 40 nights until he came to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and he spent the night. And God said to him, Elijah, what are you doing? And Elijah said, I have passionately served the Lord. And now the people of Israel have broken the agreement that you made with them. They're, they're putting to death your prophets and they've torn down the places where they worshiped you. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And God said, go out on top of the mountain and wait because the Lord will be passing by. And a great wind arose and it tore the mountains and shattered the rocks. But God didn't follow that great wind. And then there was an earthquake, but God didn't follow that great earthquake. And then there was a fire, but God did not follow that fire. And then there was a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard that, he covered his face with his cloak and he went out to the mouth of the cave. And God said, Elijah, what are you doing? And Elijah said, I have served the Lord God passionately and the people of Israel have broken the agreement that you made with them. They've torn down the altars where they worshiped you and they've killed your prophets. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me. 
And God said, go back from where you came. And I want you to choose and set aside for my purposes a man who will be the king of Aram. I want you to choose and set aside a man who will be the king of Israel. And I want you to choose and set aside Elijah who will be the prophet that follows you. And the people that the king of Aram doesn't kill, the king of Israel will kill. And the people that the king of Israel doesn't kill, Elijah will kill. And I have set aside 7,000 people in Israel who have not bowed down to Baal and who have not, their lips have not kissed him. And Elijah left there and did all that God has asked him to do. That's the first telling of the story. So the first time we hear a story, it kind of floats around us, doesn't really get into us. And so I'm going to tell the story again. And this time, I want to press it in a little bit deeper. Where we're going is we're going to get it into your head, and then we're going to let you walk alongside that as a friend as God puts that in our hearts. So let me tell you the story again. Now when Ahab came to Jezebel and told him, and told her all that Elijah had done in killing the prophets of Baal, she sent a message to Elijah. And she said, May the gods deal severely with me if by this time tomorrow you're not just like the prophets of Baal. And Elijah was afraid, and he fled for his life. And he went to a certain town, and there he left his servant, and he went a day's more journey into the wilderness and he sat down by a broom tree and he prayed that he would die. He said, Lord, it is enough. I pray that you would take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he laid down and he went to sleep. Suddenly, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And when Elijah looked around beside his head, there was, there was a loaf of bread that had been cooked over coals and a jar of water, and he ate and he drank, and then he laid down again. An angel came a second time and said, get up and eat, because the journey ahead is too much for you. And so he got up and he ate and he drank, and then he journeyed on 40 days and 40 nights until he got to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and he spent the night. And God said to him, Elijah, what are you doing? And Elijah said, I have passionately served the Lord God Almighty. And now they have, the people of Israel have broken their agreement that you made with them. And they've torn down the places that they worshipped you and they have killed your prophets and now they're, I'm all alone and they're trying to kill me too. And God said, go to the mountain into the presence of God and wait because he will be passing by. And a wind came up and it tore the mountains and it shattered the rocks. But God didn't follow that wind. And then there was an earthquake, but God didn't follow the earthquake. And then there was a fire, but God did not follow the fire. And then there was a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard that, he covered his face with his cloak, and he went to the mouth of the cave. And God said, Elijah, what are you doing? And he said, I have passionately served the Lord God Almighty and the people of Israel have broken the agreement that you made with them. They've torn down the places where they worshipped you, and they've put to death, they've killed your prophets. And now I'm all alone, and they want to do the same thing to me. And God said, get up and go back to where you came. 
and choose and set aside for my purposes a man who will be the king of Aram. And choose and set aside for my purposes a man who will be the king of Israel. And choose and set aside a man named Elijah who will be your successor as prophet. And those that the king of Aram doesn't kill, the king of Israel will kill. And those that the king of Israel don't, doesn't kill, Elijah will kill. And I have set aside 7,000 people in Israel who have not bowed their knee to Baal, nor have their lips kissed him. So Elijah went and did all that the Lord had commanded him. Where's the story? Is it in your head yet? We're about to find out because you're going to help me tell it a third time. <clears throat> so a couple people in the story, who were they? At the beginning? Ahab and Jezebel. And uh, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he killed the prophets of Baal. And when, when Jezebel heard this, she sent a message to Elijah. What was the message? Yeah, yeah. May God deal severely with me if by this time tomorrow, what? You're not just like them. And so Elijah was, what? Fearful, and he fled for his life. And he went to a certain city, and he left his servant there, and he went a day's journey further into the wilderness. And there, he sat down under a broom tree, and what did he pray? He prayed that he would die. He said, God, I've had enough. I've had enough. Take my life away from me. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he laid down to sleep. And all of a sudden, what happened? An angel touched him and said, get up and eat. When Elijah looked around, there were loaves that had been cooked on a fire on coals, and there was water, and he got up, and he ate, and he drank. Then what happened? He went back to sleep. And the angel came a second time and said, get up and eat, because the journey ahead is too much for you. And so Elijah got up, and he ate, and he drank, and he strengthened by that food, and he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he got to the Mount Horeb, which was known as the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and he spent the night. And God said, asked, asked Elijah a question. He said, what are you doing? What are you doing here? What are you doing? And, and, and Elijah said, I have passionately served the Lord God Almighty. But the people of Israel have broken the agreement you made with them. And they've torn down the places of worship and they've killed your prophets. And now, what? I'm all alone and they're trying to kill me too. And God said, go out and stand in the presence of God on the top of the mountain and wait because the Lord is going to pass by. And a great and mighty wind arose and it tore apart the mountains and it shattered the rocks. But God didn't follow that. Then there was an earthquake, but God didn't follow that earthquake. And then there was fire, but and then there was a, a whisper, a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard that, he, and he went to the mouth of the cave. And there God asked him, what are you doing? And Elijah said, I have served the Lord God Almighty passionately. And the people of Israel have broken the agreement you made with them. They've torn down the places where they worshipped you. And they've killed your prophets. And 
I'm all alone. And they're trying to kill me too. And God said, go back to where you came from. And choose and set aside for my purposes a man who would be the king of Aram. Good, man, that's good. And set aside, choose and set aside for my purposes a man who will be the king of Israel. And choose and set aside a man named Elisha because he is going to be your successor as prophet. And those that the king of Aram doesn't kill, the king of Israel will kill. And those that the king of Israel do not kill, Elisha will kill. And I have set aside 7,000 people in Israel who have not bowed their knee to Baal, nor have their lips kissed him. And Elijah went and did all that God had commanded. Let's talk about that story together. Stories from the Word of God are so important. And they're so important, you know, these are stories that we've heard many, many times, lots of us, since we've been small children. But God's Word can speak to us fresh and anew. Even the stories of God can speak fresh and anew. And so we want to move that deeper into our heads, this story, by thinking about it together. The first question I have for you, and uh, we've got mics here. People are going to go out, and, and if you make too much eye contact, I might even call you out. No, I promise I won't do that. But <clears throat> my first question is, what did you particularly like about this story? What did you particularly like about this story? Just raise your hand and a mic will get to you. <clears throat> I liked how devious and evil Jezebel appeared. She's a very good villain. Okay. She's not a good villain. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. What did you particularly like about the story? I like the fact that God didn't um, beat him down for his discouragement. God saw him where he was and reached him there. Yeah, absolutely. What else? What else did we like about that story? What I really liked was um, you can really see God's... Um, shepherding through this story, how he worked through, how he let him um, do, do his thing and then worked through it and gave him, a, gave, him a, um, gave him a good outcome at the end, let him shepherd. Awesome. Shepherd him through that process. I like that word. That's a great, great observation. What else? I like the fact that God continued to use Elijah through his depression, he ministered to him, and he still gave him his word to go and speak. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, we hear that in Elijah's prayer, don't we? <laughs> he sat down and he prayed that he would die. He was fearful. <laughs> he was suicidal. <laughs> he wasn't in good shape, but God met him. Good. Anything else we like in that story? God, God provided the perfect solution. God provided. God provided. Amen. Yep. I like that God came or spoke to Elijah through a whisper. It didn't have to be this big show. Or, I mean, he had gone through so much. I just don't think that's what he needed. He needed a whisper. Very good. Very good observation. Thank you. Um, I like that God provided for his needs before asking him to go out and work. 
Sorry, say, say that. He, he provided food. Yeah, thank you. Let's hear from one more person. What do we like about that story? It uh, makes me scratch my head a little bit, but I like it because it's making me scratch my head a little bit, is that uh, he did all these weather wonders, these miraculous things, and uh, to me, that's God's presence, but God what didn't follow. I don't know what that exactly means, but if I saw wind tearing apart mountains and crushing rocks and big stones, I would imagine that's God right there kind of providing a little snippet of his wrath or something. And I think I'd be pretty humbled at that point. I don't know. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. That, I don't know why that all happened and why he felt that God wasn't there or that God wasn't there that followed after each event. That just kind of makes me scratch my head, but I think it's that mysterious kind of little detail is what I like. Kind of want to dig deeper, dig deeper into that. Yep, I'll get to you, but I want to I want to take a, a pause here, and this is a process. When we're all sharing together, boy, do we need to guard our hearts. Guard our hearts. In two ways: ask God to be speaking to us and showing us things from His Word, but the other thing is that we might have a Christ-like attitude about those who are sharing what they liked about the story and some of the other questions that we came. I'll tell you what, sometimes that's a battle. That's a battle to look at brothers and sisters in the Lord and say, God can speak to me through them. So we need to guard our hearts. Good. My favorite part of the story is when God said to Elijah, I have 7,000 that have not bowed a knee to Baal nor kissed him. And he kind of opened Elijah's eyes to see, you're not alone. Mm -hmm. There's many others I have that you don't even know about yet. It's a direct answer to that, you know, his, his comment, I'm all alone, right? Good. All right, the next question and is, what hit you wrong about this story? What did you not particularly like about this story? Now, when I ask that question in oral contest, you've got to remember these people are unchurched. They don't, they don't know the right answer. They don't know the wrong answer. They don't know the church answer. They don't know the Sunday school answer. All they know is there's stuff in the story that didn't particularly hit them right. And so, is there anything like that in the story that you, like kind of a little bit like what you said, scratching your head about, right? It's not that you didn't like that part, but, you know, is there a part where you're saying, hmm, I'm not sure I get that. Elisha takes off in fear, and it's those, so God enables him along his journey of fear of running away. And that raises questions in my mind. Why would he allow him to take this course, feed him, shelter him, and yeah. asking questions along yeah. the way? God is enabling the... Elijah in his depression, how could that be? That's, a good, that's something to be not happy about if that's what's going on there. Yeah. I just put myself uh, with Elijah on a mountain by myself. There's windstorms, earthquakes, fires. I'm by myself. How could he stay there? I would have hauled my freight. <laughs> but to trust in the Lord that much is, is amazing. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Bob. I see that hand. And it's not even a Baptist church. There's so much truth to that. <laughs> um, I think the part that was hard to hear was all the death. And I realized that those people, obviously, God had planned, and, and they were 
deserving of it, but I think anytime we have a situation where we see multiple people die in this day and age, it's heartbreaking. And nobody wants to see that, regardless if somebody loves the Lord or doesn't love, especially if somebody doesn't love the Lord, yeah. I'd say. So that's probably the hard part for me. It's the hardest part for me in this thing. I mean, he says, go choose and set aside and appoint these kings and this prophet. And then he says, and those that the kings don't kill, the prophet will kill. Man, and the implication is those 7,000 that he's got set aside will finish the deed if the prophet doesn't. Crazy, crazy. That, that, it does, it blows my mind. I think I saw a hand back there somewhere. Did I miss it? Anything else? That was the same thing I was going to share. <laughs> Good. How, how many of you, when you listen to that, go, <laughs> I wish that part wasn't in there, the part about these kings killing everybody. Raise your hand if you've kind of had that thought. Yeah, you're not alone. You're not alone. Good. Good. Yes. I wonder what percentage of that population, 7,000 people related, was that a minuscule part of the population? I mean, what was the population at that time? 7,000 might have been... 1% of the population. Yeah, yeah. That's true. If, if I feel like I'm all alone, I'll take 7,000 or five, you know, um, for sure. But yeah, what was the percentage of population? Google it. I don't know. Okay, yes. Um, I wonder why the Lord didn't have Elijah finish the, the command that he gave him to go to Mount Horeb and... It's like an unresolved, you know, Jonah had to go to Nineveh no matter what. <laughs> yeah. And, but he just, he stopped at that cave and never went, I don't know. Yeah, so let me tell that part of the story again. So he went to Mount Horeb, which was known as the, the mountain of God, and there he went into a cave. Okay, because, yeah. yeah. I, don't know if the, I didn't know if the cave was at Mount Horeb or if he just stopped before he got there. I don't think he stopped before that. I think that the... It implies that he was there. Now, I will say, this story is told again in 2 Kings, okay? And as often in Scripture we see, you kind of get two different perspectives on the same story. And so they fill in different uh, details. So if you want to go read some other, another account, you can dig into 2 Kings. Yes? I guess I wonder why God made him go 40 days and, and he just, I mean, I'm sure God provided food along the way, but, yeah. you know, he could have just gone two days away, yeah, and yeah, there would have yeah. been a mountain where God's food Yeah, him. exactly. I, never, so, I didn't think about that, but like uh, 40 days and 40 nights, really? Okay, I'm going. You know, I, you're exactly, well, yeah, <laughs> what, was, what was God thinking? Yeah. Anything else? I think it's interesting that God tells him to find a new Elijah. Like, it's just fascinating because he's talking to Elijah, but he's telling him, you're going to need to find a new one. Ah, so good. And, and I probably slurred my words because the part of that story goes like this. And find a man, choose a man, set him apart for my purposes Set, find a man named Elisha. Okay. Elisha. And so uh, I always get those guys mixed up, man. So, uh, and I've told stories a lot, and I still get them mixed up. The thing I remember is Elijah has a J, and he comes before in the alphabet, then sh, uh, And so that's how I, I get him in order, at least. Uh, but yeah, it was a different guy. But yeah, yeah. The fact that he called him. I think, uh, Micah, did you want to say something? <clears throat> Comments again on the, the 40 days and 40 nights, that's a, a large chunk of time after he had killed the prophets of Baal. So like the enemy has time to think and meet and assemble and like gather their forces while he's running away. Like it's not like God said, okay, go act quick. Like in, in one hour, you're going to go appoint these kings. It was like, no, over a month had passed and the enemy probably has an advantage or yeah. so we think. Yeah. So you see a bit of uh, God's timing, whether we understand that or not. Yes. I had another thought. Um, 
Elijah had just experienced miraculous signs from God, right? Yep. The, the sacrifice and the water and the fire and all those things, yet he was afraid of Jezebel? Yeah. He had Almighty God with him, yet he feared Jezebel. That's what bothered me. Yeah, that's hard to imagine. She's talking about chapter 18. <laughs> Read chapter 18. It's a cool story. Okay. Uh-huh. Anyone else? Yes. Down front here. <clears throat> it always bothers me that God asks him what he's doing because he knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. But, and that's like going into your kid's room and they've made a huge, what are you doing, you know, so. <coughs> yeah. yeah. There's something about uh, people and uh, God who has authority in our lives that carries a special meaning behind that question, right? I know you stole that cookie. What are you doing? <laughs> you know? Yes, exactly. Was there one other person? Okay, so one of the things that usually bothers Westerners a lot is about this process is we say, what did you like about Scripture? What did you not like about Scripture? Hey, it's not about me. Give me some study. Give me some information. Tell me what I'm supposed to think. But there's a real purpose behind that question, and, and the reason you ask that question is because there's no right or wrong answers to that question. And when you're sitting around a small group of people and you're telling them a story and you're discussing with them, and there is this authority structure that says, I don't say anything that the teacher has not told me to say. You've got to break that down. And so by asking, what did you think about that? What did you like about it? What didn't you like about it? It opens it up and says, hey, we want to hear people's opinions as we talk about Scripture. Well, let's talk about some people in the story. Just shout out for me a person in the story. Elijah. Okay, so let's go through and say, well, what do we know about Elijah? Let's kind of put a bio together about Elijah where are my guys? You're not done yet. So what do we know about Elijah? If you're going to describe him based on this story, how would you start describing Elijah? Yes. <coughs> He's very good at pity parties. Okay, good. What else do we know about Elijah? How would we talk about him? He's God's voice. Thank you. We see that in the story when he says, go and choose and set aside these men and this prophet for my purposes. Yeah, he's the voice of God. Okay, we don't know that, but that's a coming. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, when the prophets of Baal, yeah. And that's... that's chapter 18. Read chapter 18. And this is what happens when you tell stories to people that have never heard these stories before. They go, wait a minute. How could that be? And you tell them, hey, I've got another story for you. And you come back and you tell them another story. You're absolutely right. He wasn't afraid to confront them then. <laughs> the prophets of Baal. Yes. Kind of a bio of Elijah. What will we say about him? I'm, I'm not supposed to talk because I'm carrying my... Yeah, you're supposed to talk. All right. Um, that he was a man just like us. <laughs> That's what we're told in the New Testament. So. Oh, man. He is just like us. Woohoo! I'm high. Look what God did. You're going to kill me? I'm out of here. <laughs> you know? What am I supposed to be doing here? Where are you, Elijah? He's just like us. He's just like us. Wow, that's, that's a powerful statement. Thank you, Joel. Yeah. You going to share something, Margo? He served God faithfully. He followed God faithfully. Excellent. I'd put that in his bio. Yep. 
Uh, I feel like in this moment he's kind of lost hope once he sees that they've torn down the altar and not worshiping him. Now he's afraid and he's going to hide and covering his face with his shirt. He was a man without hope. And isn't that interesting? You know, we, <laughs> we can catch Elijah, we can catch Moses, we can catch Peter, we can catch many, many men and women in the God, of God in certain points in their life in the Bible, and then we look years later and they're completely different. Or in this case, 40 days and 40 nights. He's different. Yeah. <laughs> he was hopeless. He was feeling all alone. Yeah. Way in the back there, yes. When he heard the still, small voice, he knew whose voice it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Sounds like I ought to be saying something in the New Testament about sheep and uh, their pastor. Yeah. Yeah, he heard that gentle whisper, and he covered his face, and he went out. And, and like someone was pointing out, you got, you got mountains torn apart and rocks being shattered, and Elijah's just hanging out in the cave, you know? Maybe for protection, I don't know. Yeah. He had to go all the way down so he could come up. Okay. He had to go all the way down so he could come back up. It is a story of redemption. Okay, let's talk about someone else in the story. Give me another person in the story. Jezebel. Jezebel. Okay, we don't, we don't know a lot about her from this story, but we do know a little bit. What do we know? She was vengeful. She was vengeful. Men, don't marry someone like Jezebel. You know, you can make your list of what you want in the perfect woman. Read about Jezebel and make another list that says never a woman like that. Okay? Good. What else can we say about Jezebel in her bio? Powerful. Absolutely powerful. Go and read some more stories about uh, who was really uh, ruling the roost, Ahab or her. Interesting. Yes, in the back. She's really controlling. Like she wants to manage everything and have it all go her way. <laughs> okay. She's, she is powerful and controlling. Absolutely. Let me tell this little part of the story and tell me what you get from this again. And when Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done about how he had killed the prophets of Baal, she sent a message to Elijah and said, may the gods deal ever so severely with me if you're not like them by this time tomorrow. That little part of the story, what else can we say about Jezebel in her bio? She had a temper. Yes. Something else? What's that? She followed Baal. Not only Baal, but may the gods deal ever so severely with me. Yeah. She was no friend of God. Arrogant. Yeah. Fearless. Fearless. Yep. What? Except of her gods. Right. Right. Good. Yes, Alex. Yeah, so threatening. If you don't do this, then I'm going to do this. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Absolutely. We're going to take one more on Jezebel because she's not too edifying. <clears throat> it seems like she potentially had great leadership qualities and used them in the worst way. <laughs> okay, yes, yes. That's why it, uh, it is uh, not always a good thing to read uh, books on leadership um, bereft of the Word of God, because you can be a leader uh, in all different kinds of ways, a good leader in all different kinds of ways. Good. Let's pick another person. Oh, okay. One more. In all of this that, that Jezebel saw that happened, she never turned to the Lord. She didn't see that, <coughs> that Baal was nothing but a stone or a piece of wood and didn't see that God was God. She never did turn to him, never 
saw, never admitted, never, you know, looked. Good. Which is amazing. I mean, if I saw what God had done through Elijah, I think, you know, I might have been bowing down to the Lord. Yep. A little preview to the future. There is a glimmer of hope for Ahab um, when Elijah goes back. And so I would encourage you to read about uh, what happened uh, with Ahab when he was confronted. Yes. I was just going to say, she sounds like the woke leaders of the day. Yep. Yep. Good. So let's, uh, I'm going to hang on to that question because that is so close to one of the questions I'm going to ask a little bit later. But I want to go a little bit more. What What about another person in the story? God. Absolutely. We're going to put God over here because we're going to talk about him up all by himself. Okay? So let's talk about the people in the story. I should have clarified that, the people in the story. Yeah. Elisha. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, and I didn't even finish the chapter 19, but uh, if you read the rest of chapter 19... It's pretty cool what Elisha does when he gets anointed by Elijah. So that's the, the very tail end of uh, 1 Kings 19. So Elisha, we don't know much about Elisha from the story. Actually, if you read the text, it says that he's from a certain family. Uh, and uh, if you read that, Google it and uh, check out his heritage. Good. Okay, that we do know. Elisha was chosen by God. Yeah. Elijah did the anointing, but he was chosen by God. Good. How about another person in the story? Anyone else in there? What's that? The kings, okay. Yep. You have Ahab. Uh, who was in the beginning, and you have, are you talking about the king of Aram and the king of Israel? The king of Israel's name was Jehu, and the reason I left out both their names is because I could never remember the name of the king of Aram. So I just said, I'll just call him the king of Aram. But, <clears throat> but you can look at that. But the king, uh, Jehu uh, was the king of Israel at that time. Yep. The angel. Good. Do you know that that's one of the first things that people in many cultures of the world would call out as someone who's in this story? It's true. It's true. He's a messenger, messenger of God. What can we, uh, what can we, but also to your point, Jesse, uh, they would see that as just as real and tangible as a person, so they'd be less likely to divide those two, two things a spirit visiting them, a friend visiting them, a chief visiting them, much the same, much the same. Okay, an angel. What do we know about this angel? I'll start. He's a good alarm clock. Okay. Uh, what, what else? Okay, he gave direction. Very clear direction. Absolutely. Okay, where do you hear that in the story? Now, Connie, because I know you, this is a challenging question. So I'm going to ask you, where do you hear that the angel provided the food? <laughs> Let me tell that part of the story. So <clears throat> he laid down and to, went to sleep. And suddenly an angel woke him up and said, get up and eat. And there he looked around and beside his head there were bread baked over, baked over coals. And there was a jar of water. The story doesn't say anything about who provided those, okay? So uh, it's not in the text, if you will. <clears throat> Could be. You're right. Could have been God. Don't know. We don't know. And that's part of Scripture. We come to Scripture and we have to say, there's some things, some things we do not know. Praise God that there was food. <laughs> And uh, water there. Yeah. Anything else we know about the angel? <laughs> Persistent. <laughs> yeah. Persistent. Yeah. 
he was sent by God. Angels are often messengers. In fact, that's one of the meanings of that word, right? In fact, sometimes the word angel is even used about men who are messengers. In this case, it was a spiritual angel. Good. All right. Now we're going to talk about the big guy. We're going to talk about God. Let's write a bio of, of God from this story. What would we say are the, this is our big uh, Western Christian world, what would we say are God's attributes revealed in this passage? So just what was God like? If we're writing a bio for God, what would that look like? Compassionate. Patient. Almighty. Consistent. Just. Provider. All-knowing. Merciful. Powerful. What's that? Faithful. He is faithful. What's that? Love. Definitely loved Elijah. He's in charge. He's in charge. Think about the other people in that story who thought they were in charge. Uh, and uh, he pretty much... Uh, a mighty wind that uh, tears mountains and... Uh, Shatters rocks, earthquake, fire. He's in charge. What's that? Ooh, t- tell me a little more. No concept of distance. That sounds very deep. Jesse, what do you mean by that? Okay, okay. So you say that because he didn't send him next door, he sent him 40 miles away. So no concept of distance. Okay, uh, I might be able to go along with that. Uh, certainly, uh, he's, uh, you know, he's omnipresent, so in that sense. Do I think he is conscious of man's, the distance man has to go? I think he's conscious of that, yeah. He's sovereign. Well, ah, that's a bit, oh, and I have no idea what that means. What does that mean, sovereign? I don't get it. He's in control of everything. He's sovereign. Just teasing you. Yeah. Uh-huh. So when we had teenage boys, there were times that we needed them to dig deep. That they could readjust their attitude. And I think that God understood that Elijah needed to walk Just his attitude. I think it was a, a compassionate thing he did. Yep. Absolutely. Thank you, Marla. That's really cool. Yes. I'm sorry, Paul? He knows the end of the story right down to his second coming and the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, talking about having their kids dig ditches in order to contemplate their choices in life. He said one of the other reasons why uh, that happened was so that I wouldn't kill them uh, (laughs) for what they had done. So, yeah. Good. All right. Yeah. Yeah. And in the story, in the way I told it, his last words to Elijah were, go back to where you came, right? This time armed with some more information about who God was and what God was going to do. Yeah. Okay. So now we're going to move to this question, these people in this story, and of course God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but 
these people in that story lived a long time ago and in a land far, far away. And so they're different than us. But I want to ask you, when you think about the people in the story, I want to ask you, are there people around like that today? People in the story? Let's talk about that a little bit. How do you see the people in the story's bios reflected in people today? Making decisions based off fear. People do that. Yeah, so Elijah, for a time, just like some of us, we lose focus. Yeah, Elijah is like us in that sense. What's that? Who do you have in mind there when you say that? Okay, yeah. So who in the story reminded you of that? Okay. The worshipers of Baal and certainly, um, certainly Jezebel and Ahab. Um, and, and your point was again, Dick, say it again. This is, this is the thing, when I pontificate, you know, sometimes my ears close up. So, yeah. Uh-huh. Without in, it seems like today you see people without the enforcement of laws People do anything they want, right? Yeah. <laughs> they don't stand before God. They stand before the policeman hidden behind the, the billboard, right? Um, so if there's not somebody who's going to enforce the law, um, they'll do what they want. Mm-hmm. Good. Serving false gods, absolutely. Biggest false god of our age today is ourselves ourselves. Yeah. Give, give him the mic. Uh, so. I'm going to go back to digging the ditches, and this is about questioning God's reasoning. Um, one of the longest ditches dug, but now, okay, that meets all the specifications. Go bury it. Why do I have to bury it? I said, because you dug it. And I think God does that to us. Because of your actions. Yeah. I think there's some of that that's brought out. Yeah. A lot of what we deal with, actually, all of what we deal with is more than likely brought on by ourselves. If we did everything right, there'd be no place for mercy and forgiveness. And God loves to pour that out. Good. What else do we see in the people back then reflected in the people around us today? Uh, yes, go ahead. Yeah. God, Elijah said that he was all alone. And uh, he said, I feel that a lot. In the back. So I'm thinking about the angel, the messenger. And we see people today that are doing God's bidding by serving. They're waiting on people. They're not pressure. I mean, he did pressure him to wake up, but then he let him go back to sleep. Yeah. And when it was time again, he kind of gave him that little urge. And we see that in people's lives today that serve God and work in the church and they they're not forcing they're just saying they're giving you that nudge it's time to get going yeah and here's some sustenance here's some food and some water you're going to need these if you want to bless your pastors here when they tell you I'm going on a vacation ask them what does that mean um because every leader needs a time to go to sleep 
and to be nurtured by the Lord. And so I see leaders oftentimes burning out because they feel like they got to keep going and going and going. And even when they say they're on a vacation, I'm going to go lay down under the broom bush, they kind of got one eye open, you know, and they're looking around to see if there's anything else that they need to do. And so we can really serve our leaders by saying, take a real vacation. Everything is going to be all right because it's in God's hands. Good. What else do we see reflected in those people, in the people we see around us today? God is all-powerful, but when power goes to man, corrupts them. All-powerful, all like Ahab and Jezebel and all them, power to them was corrupting. But with God, power is just and right and faithful and loving and all those attributes of God. In his power, he is always right. But when power goes to humans, it typically corrupts them. Greatest outpouring of power of God in Scripture is the resurrection. It's a complete restoration, not only of Jesus, but of us when we come to know him as Savior. Yes, Micah? Um, I think it's like, I don't know how to say this, like human inefficiency or like weakness um, I always think about how much I want to get accomplished every day um, and how little I actually get done. And I think, like, man, Elijah needed, like, a 40-day break from everything. Like, he was just walking toward a mountain, like, doing nothing. Probably he was finding food or something. Um, but he had 40 days to himself just to, like, rest. And I'm like, I don't know, it's like, man, why do I need all that time just to get recharged? Like, I, I, I wish I could do so much every day, but I can't. And it's been a struggle to, like, realize that I'm so finite that I need to rest and I can't get things done. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It's one thing to lay down under a broom tree. It's another thing to uh, take 40 days and 40 nights off. Yeah. Without without insult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, one of the things that whenever we have a discussion group and all around the world, <clears throat> in, in Nigeria now, we have about... 950 um, leaders leading discussion groups, um, like you saw this man in the Middle East leading. Um, God is moving in India, not only through Spoken Worldwide, the organization that I represent and work with, but he's working through many, many organizations um, to reach the outermost part of the earth where people prefer not to read and write. And one of the things that is constantly on my mind and in my heart when we are talking about these stories together is, Lord, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to us today as we talk about your word? And if it was a smaller group, and some of you already have, you've already said how this story touches you and things that reminds you about yourself about the way you view God. But I, I just want to end us in a time of prayer. And I want you to think about two things. First, is there anyone that might be encouraged by hearing this story? We're heading into the holidays. People might feel alone. People might feel suicidal. People might feel all kinds of things. Be praying that God would lead you to a person that you can tell this story to. You don't have to tell it perfectly. We're in a textual world. Try to tell it, and then open up your Bible if you need to, need to do that. And the other thing is, what's God saying to you this morning? Is there something about God that you realized this morning as you heard that story that you haven't really been putting into practice as you think about how you worship him, how you believe about him. Is there something that you're saying about yourself? I'm finished. It's too much. It's too much. Even my ancestors did better than I did. 
Maybe God's speaking to you. Let's close with a word of prayer. What a humbling thing it is to come before you, God, to have a clear picture of how you moved and acted in Elijah's life. Father God, we pray that this week we would walk humbly before you, that we would be reminded often of the chapters in this story and all of your attributes that show forth here. And Father, that you would help us to realize that even the chosen men of God were fearful, were depressed. They needed your touch. So Father, as we always do, we are lay our lives before you and we say, shape us, mold us, make us men and women that bring more and more glory to your name. We pray this in Jesus' name.